Hello, Canucks fans. Welcome into episode 155 of the Canucks Speakeasy Podcast. I'm Pete. I am Brendan, a.k.a. Jabo. And we got a four-game flight, so Brendan, why don't you start us off here? Well, I, of course, get the losses, which is fantastic. Canucks uh, go into Colorado, lose 5-2, close game through two periods. Canucks actually didn't play quite, didn't play all that poorly, uh, but uh, gave up the goal early in the third period to Riley Tuck. Kale McCarr, you know, off of a just, you know, an unfortunate turnover by JT Miller, and, and that was kind of the ball game. Um, the refs ruined that game, just we can make that one refs ruined that hockey game by an inability to put their fucking whistle Canucks go into Seattle and end their losing skid against the Kraken with a very complete 5-1 win is the bottom six getting it done Luger, Hoglander, Joshua Lafferty and Mikheyev with the goals Oh yeah and then the, even the better one, the Canucks go into San Jose it was their third game in four nights 5 fifth game in eight nights and they lose to San Jose to to be fair are playing a little bit better but the Canucks played nowhere near their best um Hironic, Besser and well Besser with two and the Canucks in uh, last night we're recording on Wednesday here beat the Ducks after a fairly black today's first two periods came up flying the third Besser again with two goals the Canucks win 3-1 Petey with the other and continued his recent physical play, Demko, with a solid effort. Uh, so, Brendan, we uh, the Canucks continue to be a bit of a 500 team here, going two and two since our last episode. Just lots of games, um, and it looks like the schedule gets a little bit normal now, which um, I think is going to be very good for this Canucks team. Uh, yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting to see moving forward how that um, how they fare now. You know, the, the, the games are going to get spread out a little a little bit more normally. Uh, going to be spending a little more time at home. Um, you know, obviously they got this weird, you know, the, the two-game homestand, and then they got to go to to Calgary for one. And, I mean, it just, yeah, I mean, that's another sort of an odd anomaly. We've seen a couple of times, actually, I believe both possibly against Calgary, where they have to they come home for a game and then have to go to Calgary. Uh, this time, at the very least, it won't be on back-to-back nights. They'll have a day to travel and 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 get there and, and adjust before they play the Flames. Um, but you know, it's sort of hard to judge them completely just because of the amount of games they've played in such a short amount of time, the amount of travel they've had um, to begin this season. Uh, so I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna cut them some slack and say 500 is not so bad considering. Uh, the the amount of travel they have had. Um, I mean, there have been things that I don't particularly like. I mean, I thought the first two periods against Anaheim uh, last night were not particularly good. They had some flashes in the first period, but the second period wasn't good at all. And I, I'm going to assume somebody, whether that's the coach or one of the leaders of the team, got up and said, hey, guys, let's, let's fucking wake up here. Because um, they really came out in the third period against Anaheim and and played one of their best periods they've played in, in, in a while. Um, I would say outside of that third period in Seattle, but they had the lead that that night. So they came into the third period against Anaheim. 
a tie game and could have gone either way, but the Canucks decided, okay, well now it's time to take this game over. Um, and, and that's what they did. I mean, they had, I, outside of the late power play that, you know, McTavish had the chance to hit the post. I mean, they didn't give up a whole hell of a lot and, and um, you know, were by far the better team. Sort of summed up at the end there. I thought, you know, you know, I, I know Garland didn't score. I mean, he probably should have scored the tap in that Petey gave him. But the, the, the continued dogged pursuit of the puck after that, uh, that led to the penalty that sort of iced the game at that point um, late in the game. Um, so I was quite happy with what I saw what I saw in the third period. And let's hope that this is sort of them kind of learning, okay, this is how we have to play to be successful. We can't, we can't let inferior teams outwork us, you know, inferior teams on paper anyway, because the Canucks aren't good enough at this point, even on paper to play at 60, 65% and expect to beat, you know, almost anybody. At one point in the second period, the shots were 22-9 ducks, and the Canucks came out with a 12-1 shot advantage in the third. Really kind of turned it over. Uh, the home games, yeah, I think there's 15 of the next 17 nights, or we're in a stretch. Sorry, it's not now 15 of the next 17, but we're in a stretch where 15 of 17 nights the Canucks are at home. Uh, that's except for those two nights they're going to be in Calgary. And, yeah, it's weird. Those little one-offs with Calgary, they that's happened with San Jose a couple of times over the last few years as well. Uh, but this is good that the Canucks are going to be not traveling as much here. Uh, there's some tougher opposition coming up. We got Vegas next. That is not going to be an easy task. And I really hope the Canucks bring that third period Anaheim hustle to the game because you're not going to get by playing only a half a game like you did against the Ducks against the Vegas Golden Knights. Uh, folks, as well, don't forget, you can follow us online out there on Twitter. I'm at Pete underscore gas. And we also have the podcast at Canucks Speak. Uh, I am Brendan. And I am at, I think I've already told you guys that, but I'm at, at I'm at, at Jabo underscore Vancouver. Uh, J-A-B-O. We're also on YouTube. So for the love of God, go on there, hit that subscribe button. We're yes, yes. Hello, everybody. Um, yeah, please subscribe. I mean, we're good people. We we deserve a subscription. <laughs> um, Doug is off this week. Uh, he's at Doug Venn. Uh, he should be back uh, next week. It looks like we're going to be recording next Wednesday again. We don't like recording on game days. And uh, do give a listen to the Connect Speakeasy outro playlist. Uh, I'm editing this episode, so I'll be putting the outro track on there. That is available on Spotify and Apple Music. Just do a search for it. Uh, it's got enough music to get you through a couple of shifts of work now. I put it on quite a bit and my Spotify rewind or whatever it is uh, seems to recognize that with all the songs that uh, are coming up. All right, Brandon, we got, um, we got a lot to talk about. I mean, it, there always seems to be a lot to talk about with this team. At least there's a lot more positives than negatives to talk about. Um, I want to start us off today with the Anthony Bavilia trade because that was kind of a, a bit of a surprise. And I think an overall uh, a positive move for both teams. I think this is one of those rare situations where it's a win-win move. Uh, my take on it, Chicago, well, they've lost Taylor Hall and Corey Perry now. They needed to bring in some sort of veteran presence for them. They see giving up a fifth rounder to get a, a guy who's on an expiring contract. They can probably flip him at the deadline, at least recoup that fifth rounder. If not, maybe get a fourth rounder. I could see them using Bavillier with Connor Bedard in a lot of situations to make his point totals look a little bit better. And I could see a team 
taking a chance on him as a depth piece. So for Chicago, it's uh, probably going to be uh, an event advantageous move for Vancouver. They recoup the fifth round pick that they lost in the Sam Lafferty deal, which ironically Sam Lafferty at this time was last year was in Chicago. Funnily enough, uh, it'll be a better fifth round pick than they traded away uh, to the Leafs. So they get that back, but really this is one of those addition by subtraction moves it clears 4.15 million dollars in cap space which is huge especially with all the chatter about ethan bear and finally getting a bit of cap flexibility like the canucks in season over the last forever have never had any sort of cap flexibility and they actually have a bit right now as well as some guys on ltir and one other thing that it does is this means that neil zaman is here to stay he is waiver eligibility is now over i believe i may have to fact yes. check me on that but i'm pretty sure no. okay yeah i was pretty sure he had like yeah. after, one after the game in san jose it was, that's uh, what i thought yeah. yeah i thought he had like one more game so he's and he's a guy who would get picked up on waivers. So Niels Amon, uh, in my opinion, has outplayed Anthony Bavillier as well. So the Canucks get an upgrade on their roster. They get $4 million in cap space, and they get a draft pick back. Chicago gets a guy that they desperately need with a couple of injuries and other situations. And they're probably going to make that trade a positive as well by flipping him at the deadline. But uh, for Vancouver, more important of those two teams, um, I really like this move. Uh, what are your thoughts? Well, I mean, it, when Neil Oman passed um, his ability to, to, to go uh, back down to Abbotsford without clearing waivers, it kind of, you know, gave me the impression that, you know, something was at least possible um, because I, I don't know. It was hard to think who you would send down from that forward group, um, you know, to make room for once Pia Suter finally does uh, come back. Um, so it was difficult to, to see that path. So I, I kind of thought that this was definitely a possibility. I didn't, I'm not going to sit here and say that I, that I knew for sure it was going to be Beauvillier, but um, he certainly was an option that we were, we thought that was a possibility. Um, but no, I, I mean, it was a, it was a necessity and, you know, you were able to do that without having to take to having to put a sweetener on, to, to, to get out, get rid of that contract. And you basically take a pick back. So, you know, I know a lot of people are like, Oh, you could have gotten more. I'm like, well, no, I mean, I'm not, I don't believe that was the truth at all. Uh, maybe you got more as you, as you headed towards the deadline, that that's definitely a possibility if they, if they wanted to be more patient, but there were other extenuating factors as to why you would want to get rid of that contract now um, and open up that roster spot. Um, Rick Tockett likes Niels Oman. Um, I, I, I think it's been documented by by others that um, if Tockett had his choice, Niels Oman wouldn't have gone to Abbotsford to begin the season at all. Um, but you know, because he had he was able to go down without having to, to clear waivers, it just made sense at that time in terms of here's the, that those two words, asset management to to do it that way put him down there and he was really good in Abbotsford um and it, you know and I'll I'm sure we'll discuss Abbotsford later because I do have some thoughts on Abbotsford and you know the 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 words that talk it had about you know guys you know potentially being ready to make that move and and, and push for roster spots um but I you know again like Neil Zoman's one of those guys he went down there um he has that little bit of skill uh, combined with the fact that he's a big body and he's not afraid to go into the corners and he wins battles. 
Um, and you, you know, if you talk to Rick, talk to him. Uh, wall battles, board battles, you know, winning those battles are everything to him. You know, I mean, they, they are one of his staples. And if you're not able to do that, um, you're going to have a hard time, like we've seen with Andre Kuzmenko. Uh, you're going to have a hard time staying in the lineup. So, um, you know, I think, the, I think you know, at the end of the day, the Bovillian move was a good one. Um, you know, you get cap space for, you know, and, and all, all you have to do is, you know, and you've got a fifth round pick in return for it. I don't see, I don't see the, the negative in that. Now, I remember last time the Canucks made a cap move with the Blackhawks was the Jason Dickinson trade, and it cost them a second rounder to unload a contract who had less of a cap hit than what they just traded away in Anthony Bavillier. So uh, not having to give up a sweetener to get rid of it. That's the reality of the NHL. There's not a market for wingers. We saw this in the offseason. We saw this at the trade deadline. Wingers are... They're, they're, they're low value right now. Centers, yeah, you can still get something for centers, but wingers, man, it's uh, it's tough moving wingers right now. Um, Neil Zaman, uh, he has played 18 games this season across two leagues. He has 17 points in those 18 games. He's point per game in Abbotsford, 15 points in 15 games. He has two points in three games with the Canucks. They both came in the same game. That was against Seattle. But that's worth noting. I mean, he has earned his spot. He's still the second leading scorer in Abbotsford. Obviously, uh, it doesn't look like he's going to be going back. And good for him. He's he's earned it. Uh, but for me, um, he he just showed more out there than what he was showing. But Villiers had only scored two goals this year. And they both came in the same game, that 10-1 game against San Jose. He scored, in, I think they came in the same period. So you look at the Canucks schedule. He scored in one period so far this year. Like, I mean, he's been fine. He's been fine, like, you know, but he's not been $4 million fine, and the Canucks had too many wingers. I mean, we knew going into the season the Canucks had too many wingers. Uh, Tanner Pearson was the first one to go. Uh, Anthony Bavillier, the next one to go. Both of them are UFA at the end of the season, so uh, it made both the teams. They're both going to teams that are lower down as well who are more than likely going to try and flip those guys at the deadline uh, as well. Um, for me, it's... Uh, it's a it's an all round positive move. Anthony Bavillier, remember as well, like yeah, okay. Anthony Bavillier was a part of the Bo Horvat trade, but Anthony Bavillier was really only in the Bo Horvat trade to make the salary work. The real assets the Canucks got in that deal were the first round pick and Atu Ratu. Who, if you want to talk about Abbotsford here, Brendan, that's a guy you should talk about right now. Is what uh, what Ratu's been doing, um, and and. Bovillia was in there just to make the salary work. And that was, that's really it. And the Canucks are able to get out of that salary this year before the completion. So, and, and acquire another fifth. So it keeps the trade tree going. We'll see if that fifth rounder becomes anything, but really it's, it's not like the Canucks gave up anything. People are saying, Oh, well, he was a big part of the Bo Horvat trade. He was a part of the Bo Horvat trade to make the salaries work. So that deal could get done. I mean, I, I think it was a, uh, it was a player that they thought, you know, we can take a flyer on this guy and if it works out fantastic and if it doesn't work out, it's a, it's a contract that we can trade, especially with going into this year with one year left on it, um, that you could then deal because it wasn't an, a, a totally onerous contract. Um, a little more easily dealt than say a, a Connor Garland, but I would say this that Connor Garland, um, while his, Scoring hasn't been fantastic. I, I mean, I think he's certainly outplayed 
Anthony Beauvillier. Um, For sure. But, you know, looking at, you know, discussing Achu Ratu, I mean, I mean, he's, he's been, uh, he's started to develop. I mean, he's starting to show, you know, why the Canucks feel like he can be an everyday NHL player, whether that be, you know, a third line center or probably, you know, if you're going to really max, max, max out where his development can go, probably a second line center. But I think more realistically, a, a, a bottom six center. Although he's all he is playing the wing right now in Abbotsford, I think they just wanted to get him comfortable. And so who knows? Maybe that the winger on the wing is where he ultimately stays. I don't know if that's what they necessarily want. And there's certainly time for him to go back to playing center. Um, you know, what I like about Abbotsford right now, you know, and what I've liked since the, since the since uh, Carlton took over last year, it's there's there's an emphasis on you know playing along the walls, forward battles playing good 200-foot hockey, stuff that, you know, I've said on previous podcasts, if you want to get to the NHL and stay there, those are staples that you have to be able to do. You've got to be able to play in your own end, uh, you know, and, it, you know, I've said this time and time again, that's what NHL coaches look for the most in young players, um, especially ones that aren't necessarily going to light the lamp on, on a nightly basis. What else can you do for me? Can you go and forecheck and win battles? Uh can you play in your own end? And, you know, you look at Niels Oman, he certainly can do that. He's a big body. And I do think, you know, I think one of the biggest downsides that Anthony Beauvillier had, you know, which, you know, is unfortunate because it's obviously not no fault of his own, was his size. I think Rick Tockett wants to get bigger. He wants to get tougher. He wants to be a son of a bitch to play against. That's what he wants. It's the team he, he wants. Rick Tockett's. He, he wants that exactly. He wants a group of Rick. He knew he, he was a guy who won Stanley Cup, so he knows what it takes um, outside of having your elite players to win that. Um, and so the nice thing is, is that every player down in Abbotsford is, is being taught to play that way. It doesn't matter whether you're the most skilled or the least skilled. You're going to be able to play on your own end and you're going to be you're going to learn how to be able to win uh, properly win battles along the wall because. You know, as much as it, it as much as it is a desire, um, there's also a skill set involved to being good. You know, on the forecheck, good winning battles along the wall, body positioning, um, and all of that. And they're being taught that down there. That's why you see guys, you see Linus Linus Carlson come up for a game, and I don't think he necessarily looked out of place. And I know he's been uh, recalled again. You know, it's why Neil Doman comes up, and in his first game in Seattle, looks fantastic, gets a couple assists, and certainly doesn't look out of place put right put on the pk right away um so you know it, it doesn't matter who you are if you're going to if when you come to this organization you're going to learn two things you're going to learn how to play in your own end and you're going to you're going to go out how to be tough along the walls it doesn't matter who you are and that to me is the right way to go it's 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 how to build a championship uh, caliber you know roster both in Abbotsford and in Vancouver and have guys that can come up quickly, come up quickly. And they don't, it's not going to take them too long to acclimate themselves to what Rick Tockett wants, because that's already being taught to them in Abbotsford. Uh, yeah. And just uh, what you said in there as well, Linus Carlson recalled along with Matt Irwin, I was waiting for this call up. I, I figured it was bound to happen at some point here. Um, it, it kind of forgotten a lot about, about in by a lot of Canucks fans, I think. Uh, but Irwin is a good depth piece, uh, veteran guy. I, I'm glad he got the recall 
along with Linus Carlson. Uh, and and just uh, one more thing with Abbotsford is just, you know, talking about how they're, they're developing guys. And this is something that this organization has not done well, possibly ever. It's not really been their MO. Um, guys have been rushed a lot of the time. We've talked about this uh, endlessly uh, over the years, but it, it's really nice to see uh, what is happening with Abbotsford and when guys come up. Uh, and, and, you know, I mentioned this, I think, on last week. It's not like you're just putting guys in who are not ready to play in the NHL. Niels Amon comes up, and look at that. He pushes Anthony Bavillier out of a job. You're bringing up guys who are ready to play in the NHL. That is really key. Uh, I think Linus Carlson didn't look out of place. I don't think he's quite ready yet, but he's certainly, uh, again, uh, I mean, I never thought we would I, that we'd be looking at this trade and thinking, hey, Carlson for Dolan, that's actually looking like a bit of a win right now. Uh, but it is. Um, you also mentioned in there Connor Garland, and um, I wanted to give a nod to Connor Garland. Uh, he had a great quote in a Ian McIntyre article a couple of games ago. I think it was after the Seattle game, and I I, I retweeted it. Uh, so that was really interesting. And just basically the, the gist of it was how he's having the most fun he's playing in the NHL right now. And this is the first time in his career he's been on a team that's good and that is winning at this point in his career. And I think that's uh, that's worth noting is just how much he's enjoying it. And he's embracing the role that he's got. Got Garland for me, I, I know he can score, but he always seems to shoot from very low percentage places, in, in my opinion. I, I don't know why, but he does. I, I don't necessarily see him as a scorer. I think he it's something that could be worked on a bit more, but I, I see him as more of a uh, an assist guy myself. Um, He's just always shooting from the funkiest spots, I find. And I noticed this last year, too, because I think his very first Canuck goal he ever scored was like from the goal line. And then I'll, I'll, he was always trying to score from the goal line after that. It's just like that was, that was his spot. Uh, but what Connor Garland has been doing lately, a um, bit of an unsung hero, I think, over the last five, ten games for, for this team. And another guy that you're like, you, you know, you, if Garland, because of his salary, you'd still look at moving him. Um, but he's... He's definitely got a, a place and a role uh, where his long-term future is with the Canucks uh, remains to be determined, but um, I think he's been playing fantastic. And another guy in the bottom six, um, and I know we've had chats with this with other people as well uh, about Niels Hoaglander, but I would not be looking at trading Niels Hoaglander right now. And so you kind of look at the guys in there that who are movable and, uh, and who you would trade. You're not going to trade a guy like Bluger. I mean, this is a guy that the management group likes and is fitted in quite well. Uh, really, Bavillier was the odd man out, but um, Niels Hoglander, uh, I know people are now with this cap space is chucking out all sorts of trade ideas and going to cap friendly and finding teams with right hand D and matching it all up and figuring, well, we don't want to trade a first. So would you trade Hoglander? Uh, I would not trade Hoglander right now. Um, I think he is just arriving in the NHL and I would be very reluctant to trade he him and garland do have similar games the difference is hoglander can score and he has more of a finish and more of an offensive and creative mind so uh, i think connor garland long term probably won't be a canuck but right now uh full props for him embracing the role not complaining getting the job done and uh seems to be a, a very good team player and well trusted and liked by the coaching staff and teammates right now well winning here is all right you know and and yes I, I don't know how many players had a ton of fun last year um, just because the environment was just so ridiculous. Um, it just seemed, it, was, it was literally one thing after another. And, um, 
you know, I mean, the organization was, I mean, sort of a laughing stock in just the way things were being handled and, you know, their transition from, you know, the coach that they wanted or from, well, from the coach that they didn't want to the coach that they did want. I mean, you know, so, I mean, it was one of those, one of those seasons that just like, I mean, it probably wouldn't have been a ton of fun. Um, and, and now the team's winning and playing well. And certainly he's, yeah, I mean, Connor Garland's playing well. Um, again, he's embraced that role. And I, I, the one thing I like about the bottom six is that, you know, they in some games have had more success in sustaining offensive zone time than the top six has. Um, For sure. They've embraced the cycle. Um, they've embraced just, you know what, we're going to grind up because a lot of the time, you know, I mean, certainly, you know, the game in, in Seattle was, you know, a, a, a great sign to see the, the bottom six, you know, get rewarded because they've had chances and they've played well. Um, but really the function of your third and fourth lines, a lot of the time is to just keep that momentum going and, and then set the table for your, your, your elite players. But in recent weeks i mean the top six hasn't been going quite as well five on five as they have um so you need that score um and and you know one thing you know that i got frustrated through the first two periods in the game against anaheim was and really i've been i've been frustrated with it recently is just sort of the the robotic way in which they're cycling especially the top six it almost seems like the default play is back to the point you know, it's like pass it around the outside, back to the point, pass it around the outside, back to the point. Maybe Quinn Hughes tries to do something amazing. But the fact is, is that you need to, to be able to, to show uh, that the, the, the defense more looks, you know, that that opposition just I mean, if all you're going to do is pass it around the outside and take a shot from the point, it, it doesn't it doesn't get them out of sorts. It doesn't get them out of their lanes, which allows you to get opportunities. And so what I liked in the third period of the Anaheim game, and clearly it must have been something they hit that they had openly discussed, which was out of that cycle, just take the puck to the net. Whether that's through a wraparound, coming off the half wall or whatever, just drive the net with the puck. It, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to score, but what it does is create chaos it gets confusion amongst uh, the defenders. And it really, in the future, it puts that little thought in their head that that might happen. You know? Because if all you're yeah. doing is one move, and, and which is get the puck back to the point and, and hope and pray that that puck gets through, you know, I mean, teams know how to defend after a while. They know that's what you're going to do. It becomes easier and easier and easier. So adding that little element to the game, which is driving the puck to the net, wraparounds, getting traffic. That's how you're going to create more chaos, get the defense on the back foot, create, create, cause them to make mistakes, and then you to get better scoring chances. And so I thought in the third period, it was a, it was definitely a, a step in the right direction because they had a, they had a bunch of chances. That game could have been far worse than, then, uh, well, 2-1 until the empty net goal came in. Because I remember Bluger with just a ridiculous chance that um, John Gibson made an amazing save, among other stops that he made in that third period. So, you know, hopefully that's a step in the right direction. And hopefully just in terms of the intensity that they played with. Be intense in your cycle. Play with the Play like you want to score, you know, because I, I felt like it just got a little too 
boring and robotic and and, and it and it and it showed in just the lack of intensity um in previous games well they definitely were working the wraparound against anaheim i it was very noticeable you, you know you mentioned the bluger chance that almost went in there was a couple others but they were going for i mean that the, and driving the petterson bull right obviously yep yeah yeah for sure like i mean it was definitely something that they were using i think a part of the cycle game is um just the way Hughes and Heronic have been playing, if one of them is on the ice, uh, it's it's hard not to look back to the point uh, to to those guys. Uh, but I do agree, diversifying. Uh, I I would like to see them shoot more. This is something that um, we've seen the team being outshot uh, quite heavily at times over the last little while. And again, a part of this could be fatigue as well. You know, uh, keeping it cycle and uh, it, it, it just playing more of a puck possession game. There there could be some fatigue in there, but. I would like to see them shoot the puck more um, with regards as well to the, the bottom six and um, in the Seattle game in particular, what what's really nice is another function of your bottom six is uh, especially in a game with a lot of penalties is having those fresh bodies to come out and keep play going. And this is something that I thought they did really well, especially as you know, the PD line up until I'd say the last two games had been fairly quiet. I mean, we know Kuzmenko was struggled. We haven't really, uh, we haven't talked about him yet. Um, we know Kuzmenko struggled, but PD, I think the last couple of games playing really physical, seems to be getting his game back a little bit. So when that big line isn't going, Kuzmenko struggling, PD a little bit off, even though he's one of the top scorers in the league still. Uh, it, when you can get production out of the bottom six men, like when a bottom six scored for the Canucks over the last couple of years, uh, like there was a there was a parade going down Robson pretty much. Like it was just it was a it was like holy crap, we got a we got a Grandland goal, you know? Like it just it it's something now this year that it's a lot more common. You see some of these guys like a Hoaglander or Joshua or Lafferty or whatever in score, and you're like, oh yeah, well that's. That's what good teams need to do. Um, I will say overall, I want them to to shoot it more. Um, Kuzmenko, though, um, what do you think of that uh, two games that he sat? Like, for me, I have him in my hockey pool, so it sucks. Um, I kind of get it, though. Like, Kuzmenko, I, I know he had an insane shooting percentage last year, so it wasn't really reasonable, or completely reasonable to think that he was going to get up to 39 goals again. But uh, he's... There's some games he's noticeable and other games where he's not. Um, I, I don't know. What, what do you think? Well, I mean, it goes, kind of goes back to, you know, what I said earlier in terms of, you know, board battles, wall battles, and and, and making smart plays. And, and it, you know, um, I think Talkit wants him to embrace that side of the game. And, and at times, Kuzmenko, you know, I... It's, I I posted an I posted an analogy and some some got it some didn't just you know just the in comparison between you know I mean a Barbashev that Talkit obviously wanted and you know a guy that we've seen here in Vancouver in the past uh, um, Nikolai Goldobin and and just you know you know that skill will only get you so far um, you got to be able to be be willing to get into the corners do the dirty work you know, win puck battles, um, or it, 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 especially if you're not scoring, or it's, it's going to be a struggle for you. And it's going to be a struggle for him to stay in, in, um, in Talkett's lineup, um, you know, unless he does those things. And so, you know, I, like people were like, oh, he's not Ivan Barbashev. And I'm like, of course he's not. I mean, that's not, that was not what I was trying to get at. What I was trying to get at is he needs to channel more in that direction 
than in a in, in the direction of Nikolai Goldobin, who quite honestly didn't like going into the corners, wasn't a wall battler, wasn't a wasn't capable of consistently winning puck battles. And where is he now? He's doing really well, but he's in the KHL right now. So I understood um, why, you know, yeah, why he was sat out. I, I mean, I, I mean, I understood it. I mean, in the end, I mean, I, I, I hope he gets it, and I, I don't see any reason why he can't get it. I mean, again, this is his second season; hasn't played much NHL hockey, and you know, he's, you know, at, at his age, he's still developing a little bit, as anybody would who's coming over and playing at the NHL, uh, in the NHL um, for the first time. I will say this quickly about you know more shots on goal. Um, I'll be interested to see how that goes going forward. Obviously, I agree. They need more shots. Um, I do wonder how that's going to work because I do think that Tockett wants them trending in the direction of being more of a puck possession team, um, not necessarily just taking the first shot, but holding on to the puck, grinding down the, the opposing defense, and then looking for, for your opportunities as opposed to taking the first shot that comes your way. So I'll be interested to see. Um, I do agree that there are, there are, there are instances where they should be shooting the puck and they're not. Um, but like how much more volume is there? Um, I'll, I'll be interested to see, you know, not even just this year, but as, as this team continues to evolve. Yeah. And that's, that's more it. It's not, in a, not like take, not like, you know, cross the blue line and shoot the puck. Uh, but there have been numerous times where there's just been one too many passes, uh, I guess is what uh, what more what I'm saying. And uh, I understand the puck possession. And I also like something that drives me nuts and has always driven me nuts is when teams take shots, especially from the hash marks or the faceoff circle, especially on the power play and you miss the net. Right. Like and that's something that just drives me crazy because it goes rings around the board. You lose possession. Uh, and that's just kind of like an unforced error in, in tennis, really. Uh, so I'm not saying take the first shot, but I would like to see, I just like to see more shots, uh, I guess. Um, with, uh, with Kuz, I do feel like he had a better game against the ducks. Um, still looking like he's gripping the stick a little bit, still looking like he's maybe overthinking. Maybe this is a Russian thing. Cause we all know pod Colson has done that too. Uh, it's great to see pod Colson back uh, as well in Abbotsford. Um, but uh, still kind of waiting. I don't know what, like, the thing with Kuz, right? It's like, where else do you put him in the lineup? You kind of have to keep him there. He's not going to work in your bottom six. Uh, maybe you could do some, have him play in a wing on the Miller line and elevate Hoaglander up to that line. And, oh, I'd like to see Hoaglander get a shot in there sometime. But I think for now, you kind of got to keep him with PD and Mikheyev. I hope Mikheyev's uh, all right after that shot block last night. Um, but I think you kind of got it and just, just, he was seems... back on the ice today just to, just, to, yeah. just to not to interrupt, but I'm okay. It was back on the ice today no. for practice. So, and the x-rays had come back negative. So that's at least a initial positive sign that hopefully that this wasn't anything crazy. Yeah. Geez. That, that, geez, that yes. looked rough, uh, man. Ow. That's a, that's a, that Ow. was a shot. Um, but, uh, yeah, so hoping Kuz can get it going uh, here at some point. Um, I really don't want to see him sitting up in the press box uh, at all. Um, Brock Besser, though, uh, you know, I kind of mentioned him earlier and, you know, the Besser-Miller line. Miller's just continuing to kill it. I believe he's second in the league in scoring now. I think he had five points over the last couple games. Um, just, just doing 
everything. Uh, of course, I'm a big JT Miller fan, so uh, I'm going to sing his praises uh, everywhere. Uh, but Brock Besser as well, man. Like, I, I kind of thought maybe it would just be a hot start. But here we are, what, like 22 games in or whatever we're at now, past the quarterway mark of the season. The guy's got 17 goals. He leads the NHL. He has two more last night against the Ducks, including that empty netter, to take the NHL goal lead on Hockey Fights Cancer Night. Like, I, I mean... That's just the kind of stuff that you can't write in a script. It's really amazing. Not just, you know, it's great that he's scoring, but you can see the confidence he's shooting. He's going to the net. He's going to hard areas. Uh, It's this is the best I've seen Brock look certainly since his rookie year. uh, If not ever, it's just fantastic to see. And I mean, what was that Sportsnet stat you saw last night? Whereas the Canucks are the first team to have four players with 25 plus points at the 23 game mark ever. I, that, that surprises me that the Oilers or Islanders hadn't done that. Yeah. Yeah. That is sort of surprising that somebody in the eighties didn't pull that or the off. Penguins. Yeah, exactly. Or the nine, the nine, in the early nineties. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, I think yeah. I like, you know, there were people that had written off and, and there were times where I thought, oh, you know what, maybe Brock Besser does need a fresh start. Um, to, mm-hmm. to me, it always was, you know, you would see him in the off season. He was playing in the beauty league and, 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 you know, I mean, obviously he was going through a lot. So, you know, you don't want to not discount, you know, what he went through with his father, you know, and, and, and all that. Cause obviously you know, it, it impacted him greatly. So, you know, it was, it was, you know, he went into this off season. He clearly took it seriously. He wanted to show that that he was capable of being a, a, a good hockey player again. I think it helps scoring four goals in the first game. Not necessarily. I'm not saying that oh, from, yeah. the pad, from the pad, the stats point of view, but more so just from the hey, let's get this started right. Um, and not like I said, you know, if you linger a couple of games and you're not, you haven't scored, you start thinking about it. So to get off to that kind of start really kind of set him up and, you know, you get that confidence riding high and it, you know, to be fair, he's had in the last couple of games, I mean, my God, the chances he's had, I mean, he should have, he he could have 21, 22 goals with Mm -hmm. the amount of chances that he's had uh, both five on five and on the power play. I mean, it's kind of crazy. Um, so no, it's it, this is really good. I mean, it's I mean you got to be happy for the guy. Um, you, you know he's enjoying coming to the rink again, and and a, a little bit of confidence with hard work and perseverance goes a long way. I mean I said it on Twitter um, earlier today. You know you combine those three things and and with a guy that obviously has the skill to begin with, and you know good things good things can happen, and 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 they have for him certainly playing on a line with JT Miller and um, even, you know, PDG who's done his played his role in it as well. Let's not discount him. Um, who's been on that line for the most part. Um, they've combined to make a, a good line. And, um, they're going to need that to keep going. I mean, I don't expect Besser to score 60, but if he can score, you know, 40, I mean, I mean, well I, think on that, his way. I mean, I think that would, that would, you know, be beyond anything that we could have possibly imagined. I mean, hell, I'll take third. Um, oh yeah, I would have taken thirty at the start of the year too, a hundred percent. What what he's doing right now, and I think as well, what watching Besser, uh, you know, he wasn't included in the core leadership of the of the team. He wasn't one of those four players singled out. 
But reading his body language and reading the way that players react to him, you can tell that he's liked and the team is very happy for his success. And uh, this is a guy who I don't want to say I'd written off, but I wasn't sure if we were ever going to see 30 goals out of him. So for him to be at 17 at the 23 game mark, that's a heck yeah, I'll, I'll take that. I'm not going to rule out 60, but that's going to be tricky. I mean, it's only been done by one player in Canucks history. Um, but I do he think right now... Good. He was pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. He was, uh, he was something. Yes. Um, but I, I do think right now 50 is a reasonable target, especially if he keeps playing with Miller, who just seems to be the, uh, the assist guy. Uh, PDG has been very good on that line. I don't know, um, if he's going to be the long-term fit, we've already seen some shuffling around. Uh, but he's been again, very good. A guy playing well above, uh, his contract value, right now um so it's been nice to to see pdg uh doing what he's doing as a, as kind of a value player and getting that it's a bit of found money right like you need those guys to do that you need, you that. need those guys yeah you need a couple guys to just kind of surprise you and and uh pdg i believe we got another year on this deal uh, as well if i remember correctly i think he and Wolanin both signed very similar deals um around the same time um, Neil Zaman as well. He signed a new deal too. Um, the day he got called up. And, uh, so that was, uh, that's another guy who's playing on a fairly budget team friendly deal. Uh, there's a lot of just things with, uh, the, the cap and the organization and the, uh, I'm, I'm liking right now, which is a very strange feeling. Uh, I'm curious to see if they do use some of this money for Ethan bear. Um, there, there's of course lots of rumors out there with, with Calgary and, and trades and everything else. Um, I, I think what's going to happen. I mean, I do think the Canucks need help at the blue line. I think they're going to use some of this money to sign Ethan bear. And I think if they are still playing the way they are right now and looking at the playoffs, I think when you come to the trade deadline, I think they may look for a value piece. Uh, if they can't find a guy a la Philip Peronic, where they see as more of a long-term fit. Yeah, um, I, I mean, I think Ethan Bear is going to be there for them, and 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 I I think they know that, and so the question that they'll have to ask themselves, you know, as we go along here, as as Ethan Bear gets closer and closer to being ready to come back, is is there another option out there um, that's better um, to allocate that money towards? Um, I, I have no doubt that they're already looking. Um, this, I mean, despite there being next to no real trade activity going on, the Canucks seem to be the one team, and it's been well documented that they're the one, the team that's the most active. Um, mm -hmm. I, especially it, in players above the league minimum. Exactly right, and and you look at you know that you know we know his past history and the way Patrick Alvin works. Uh, it's one deal tends to set up another. Um, there's a tether, there's a, there's a pattern there that we saw that, that, you know, he, you, you make a deal to open up cap space in, in order to make another move, um, or you trade Bo Horvat, um, and, and get the, the, the 13th overall pick in order to get a Philip Peronic, who may I add that it's just been, I mean, fantastic outside wow. of that one, outside of that one play in San Jose to begin the third period. <laughs> I mean, it's really been yeah. the only one of the only missteps he's made. I think there was uh, not to pick on his bad, but I mean the the one PK where he forgot to 
forgot to in Colorado where he forgot to go down to try to take away the pass and just let the tap and go. But I mean, beyond that, I mean, again, but that's going to happen, right? I mean, you can expect that. And his, his positives have far outweighed the negatives. Pacing for eighty-two tenfold. points. Oh, yeah. eighty-two tenfold. points right now. He's pacing for it's. Um, yeah. yeah, I I do that trade again in a heartbeat right oh, now. Oh God! I, uh, I mean, I, especially if. If Atu if Atu Ratu ends up turning into a player, mm-hmm. I mean that 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 trade ends up being and not and not and, and not that Bra- or that Bo Horvat has gone to Long Island and been a bust because I, I think he's been fine. No, not at all. But, but he's got fifteen know, points. Yeah. So, but from a Canuck point of view, I mean, they would do it ten times over. And if Ratu um, comes back, it's going to be. It look like a pretty amazing trade if he can if he can become an everyday NHL player. Um, so you know we'll see what happens over the next few weeks. I don't I'm not 100 sure where Ethan Barry is in his rehab um, if he's even that close. Um, I know this is around the time that they were starting to expect the possibility that he might be back, um, but I'm sure Patrick Alvin is out there scouring, looking for. Now, is there? Go, go ahead. Oh, sorry. I was just going to ask: Isn't there something with December first? Like, if the Canucks sign him after December first, does he have to clear waivers? I would have to look that up. I remember. I remember this from things. Uh, something before. Now, I don't know if he's eligible for that or not. But there is a cutoff uh, at December first, where uh, if a player is signed who's not on an active roster. Before they join that team, they have to clear re-entry waivers, I believe it is. Um, now, I don't know if he qualifies for that or not. So that's kind of what I'm wondering. Like, the first is a couple of days away here. Uh, I, I wonder if we're going to see something with Bear if he is eligible. Um, and again, without, I, I, I this is something I probably should have looked into a bit more. Um, but I, I don't think everyone wants to li- listen or, to me try and figure out my way through cap friendly here. But there, if, if I, I, I'm not sure because I know that there's something put in place so that you can't just add guys to your team on uh, on deals where they'll only sign with that team, and kind of a, it was seen as a bit of a, like cap circumvention, and so mm-hmm. uh, then other teams could get a, a get a crack at them first. And I mean, obviously, Ethan Bear is not not going to be a, really a a, a a huge deal by any stretch. Uh, but it's um, I, I do believe there's a cutoff and I don't know if it's December 1st, maybe it's December 15th, but I do believe there is a cutoff somewhere where he would have to clear waivers to, to join the team. Uh, I don't, I didn't, I'm reading, reading a story here. I don't see anything about that. They're expecting okay. that, that, that the target, I mean, I'm not saying that that might not be the case, mm-hmm. but I'm looking at, the, they're looking at the targeted return date to be at the end of December. Okay. Um, well, maybe so, I'm just uh, blowing a lot of hot air here. I don't know. Hey, who knows? Thinking out, thinking be, out loud with a microphone is always hey, always you might a good very idea. well be right. Um, and so that gives it the next time. I mean, yeah. and and as soon as you know, and we don't need to get into that, but to you know what happened in Chicago, Corey Perry being waived. You know, I, I guarantee you, Patrick Ovia was on the on the phone right away to say, "Hey, yeah. you've got this guy here." That you're that we're willing to trade you if you're looking for offensive help if you feel like that's what you need and you know it was again it was a shrewd move on his part it was taking advantage of a team that needed um, some more scoring to go with a young player like Connor Bedard that you you need that, that they're already without Taylor Hall you need guys that you know and I know Beauvillier had to put light in the lamp 
here in Vancouver, but he's shown in the past that he's capable of doing it. Um, and, and, you know, I mean, you know, good on Alvin. I mean, you took it, you took advantage of the situation and, and you got yourself some cap flexibility to now make some moves, um, which I assume at some point, whether it's bear or somebody else, it's going to happen. Yeah. And I feel like, uh, We've gone full circle there, uh, which which is kind of nice. And I think that's a, a good place to leave it for now. Um, big uh, three games coming up. I mean, I feel like every game right now is is big. But, uh, hey, the Knights tomorrow, then the Flames and the Devils. I'll be at the Devils game uh, with a, And then a with lot of friends. A lot of games against Eastern Conference coming up here yeah. after the game on Saturday. You know, I think they yeah. play the what is that the Atlantic division? And then they play. Yeah. And then a couple of games against the teams from Florida. So, you know, um, it'll be an interesting, it'll be, it'll be interesting to see because they, you know, they play both Jersey and Carolina, the Canucks over the past couple of years have looked not good against the, the way that Carolina really forces you to play a 200 foot 60 game minute, a 60 minute game. You know, I mean, they've struggled. So I'll be interested to see how those games go. And obviously we know Jersey was, you know, coming into the season um, touted to be a Stanley Cup contender and not that they're not, you know, obviously the the Jack Hughes early injury um, kind of derailed things a little bit, although he's, he's, he's back. So I, I'm interested to see how they fare in these games. And, you know, you're playing at home. The Canucks have been great at home so far and and, and hopefully they can keep that going. Yeah, and only one set of uh, back-to-back games in the entire month of December. All right, Brendan, let's take it into the free pour here. All right, folks, with no Doug here, I'm going to start off uh, this week. I just got a nice, quick, simple, fun thing here. Um, if people ask me a lot of the time uh, what shows I'm watching, and I don't watch a lot of shows. And uh, I've very much over the last while become a big YouTube guy just because there's so many different rabbit holes of stuff I love on there, whether it's architecture or travel or UFOs or geography or whatever. But one thing I've always loved, and uh, in a previous life I was a chef, and uh, is, is cooking. And I've found this channel called Yummy Boy. It's a Korean channel, so of course that's why it's, uh, it's called something as silly as yummy boy but there's no words in it and basically what they do is they go around and they film these amazing street food vendors in korea and japan and a bit of china and they just do these 15 20 minute videos of watching them cook and prep it all up and it is so therapeutic for me like i watch this before i go to bed now and i'm just watching you know some old japanese lady who's like an okonomiyaki master just like making a whole flat top full of okonomiyaki at once and of course i get stupid hungry while i'm watching this and wake up hungry but i'm finding it very therapeutic uh, if i'm gonna watch something like not having any words on i've actually sometimes started putting on some pretty chill music when i do it too and that's kind of become a bit of a routine for me uh, i was watching this yummy boy channel and yeah watching just uh some pretty amazing uh street food and i got some ideas for stuff i can do at home too so uh if thinking of a, a weird maybe different way to chill out at night put on some uh yummy boy japanese korean street food and uh, put on some chill music and maybe have a little edible and uh, you're good to go brandon what do you got Sure, it sure as heck that sure as heck beating heck it beats watching true crime, which I know I know a oh, lot I do of do that us, a lot too. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean that, that's yeah. That's <laughs> uh, okay. Yeah. Uh, I have mine is uh, Francis Sternhagen. Everyone's like, who the hell is that? And if you're like me and you grew up in the the late '80s, early '90s, I love the show Cheers. I was a huge Cheers fan. I love that show. I still love that show. I'll still watch it. I'll still download episodes and watch it or stream it somewhere when I can. Um, but she played Cliff Clavin's mom. Uh, Cliff Clavin, the know-it-all mailman, constantly at the bar. You wondered if he actually ever delivered a piece of mail in his life. Uh, but yeah, she died at 93 today. And just, just an amazing part of my childhood, that show, her on it, Cliff Clavin being an iconic character and her being the mother of that character. I just thought I'd just tip my hat to her great life passes away at 93 and and in a lot more stuff than just cheers but for me the role i will remember her is, as cliff clavin's mom thanks for tuning in folks episode 155 that's season five episode nine is just uh, about in uh the books uh just watched i uh, got the, the starting the king's capitals game over here and thank you for boy seth rogan just dropped the puck there so i don't know what that was all about but uh a little bit of a vancouver connection also uh if you want to watch cheers brendan i gotta tell you pluto tv which is free they got a cheers channel i watch it all the time it's just screams cheers episodes non-stop okay you're gonna have to you're gonna have to text me that because i yeah. want oh, yeah. it's free i'm not they're not a sponsor but I, uh we don't have sponsors well, but, hell, you know what? uh <laughs> it's it is something that i put on they also have way too many true crime channels um yeah i'll, I'll tell you about it off off the air um got a busy week if anyone's out there going to the devil's game uh, wants to say hi i'll be at the devil's game uh don't know who else out there is but uh always like saying hi to people from the Canucks universe out there so shoot me a, a dm uh if you want i'm at pete underscore gas on twitter uh the podcast is at Canuck speak uh, and if you want to see me this weekend, I'm going to I'm going to watch the game with some buddies at uh, the plate. No, they're not a sponsor either. But I do enjoy watching a game there and good cheap drinks. So uh, that's where I'll be on Saturday night with some buddies. Well, hopefully watching the Canucks kick the shit out of the plate. Uh, but I am Brendan, aka Jbo, and you can find me at Jbo underscore Vancouver. We're on YouTube. Go on there and check us out. Hit that subscribe button. Doug, who's not here, he's at Doug Venn on Twitter. And once more, the Canucks Speakeasy outro playlist. Uh, this jam will be added on there. The Clayton, like Cliff Clayton. You're fine. <laughs> All right, folks. Uh, we'll see you next week. Three big games. Uh, let's hope we have three more wins to talk about. Oh, shit. Still awake.